Welcome to the next episode of the Think Beginning Not End podcast powered by Vanden. I'm your host, Simon Van Leuven, and today's special guest is Matt Jennifer, the Director of Resource Recovery at Sustainability Victoria. Now, for those of you who don't know, Sustainability Victoria is a state government funded organisation which sits underneath the environmental portfolio. And their objective is to facilitate and promote environmental sustainability in the use of our resources. Now, Matt comes on today with over 15 years experience across the resource recovery sector. Matt's worked both in the private sector and in the public sector in government. And Matt was also the former CEO of Tired Stewardship Australia. Now we recorded this chat with Matt two weeks ago and only this week, the state government here in Victoria has announced their new circular economy policy. I'd love you guys to sit back, enjoy this chat with Matt. We talk all things container deposit schemes, curbside recycling, and how we've transitioned from a recycling crisis to an opportunity, kick back, enjoy it. I'm sure you guys will love it. Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of Think Beginning Not End podcast and today our special guest is Matt Geneva, Director of Resource Recovery at Sustainability Victoria. And for those of you that don't know, Sustainability Victoria is a government funded organisation that sits under the environmental policy here in Victoria in Australia. Now Matt's got over 15 years experience in the resource recovery sector and uh, it's great to have you on board. Matt's also the former CEO of Tyre Stewardship Australia, among many other career highlights, including <laughs> running his own business. And more than anything, Matt loves to see action on the ground, making meaningful change. And having seen Matt speak numerous times, I thought, what a, what a better guest that we could not have on than Matt Jennifer from Sustainability Victoria. Thanks for coming on, Matt. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Simon. I really appreciate it. Look, as you know, I'm a huge advocate for, for this sector. It's a it's a great sector, some amazing, remarkable, innovative businesses and um, uh, always proud to be to be uh, part of it. And certainly Sustainability Victoria, as you said, we're, we're part of the environment portfolio here in, uh, in Victoria. Um, we've got a board, we report into the Minister for Environment and Climate Change and really we're about taking policy ideas from the Victorian government and turning it into action. And that's either in, in resource recovery or climate change or energy. Uh, and it's really about taking those ideas and, and putting them on the ground with things like infrastructure funding and partnerships with the community and partnerships with business and all that sort of activity. So, um, uh, you know, combines two of my passions for getting things done and, and this great sector that we work in. And, and Matt, just for our wider audience, like, tell us a little bit about your journey to get to being the resource recovery director, because you have worked both the public sector and the private sector, running your own business as yep. well. Um, just for our wider audience, tell us a little bit about Matt Geneva and <laughs> what your journey's been and um, how you've got to where you are now. Yeah, look, I mean, um, I spent a lot of my early years working in consulting, um, uh, mostly around things like hazardous waste, asbestos, contaminated land, and then sort of started doing some strategic waste and recycling work probably 10, 12 years ago, uh, and then had my first stint in the state state government working for, for SV the first time around and, and managed a lot of their uh, the uh, waste infrastructure funding programs. 
uh, and then stepped back out of the state government again, did some more consulting, as you said, ran Tire Stewardship Australia for a couple of years, which was a really uh, great experience, challenging um, space, as you know, end of life tyres. Um, uh, then ran my own business for a couple of years. And I think, you know, this kind of the difference between the public and the private sector, I think, is somewhat misunderstood. Um, I think there's this perception that mm. the public sector is kind of an easier an easier gig. And I, I would disagree with that. It's um, uh, it's long hours uh, and it's often a lot of work to get something done. You know, if you're in the private sector, you make a decision, you, you have a look at it and make sure it stacks up commercially and bang, off you go and you, and you chase that profit. Uh, in the public sector, there's a lot of different layers. There's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of, you know, obviously politics comes into it. So it's harder to get things done. But I think equally when you get those things done, they're really meaningful. It's about purpose and working for the, the public sector is all about purpose. And indeed, you know, in terms of my journey, that's what kind of coaxed me back from, uh, from the private sector was really getting into a, a for-purpose organisation that's, um, that's trying to make things better for a whole heap of people. Um, and SV is certainly a vehicle for doing that. Yep, which, you know, leads me on to the next question, Matt, which is, you know, what, what does it feel like to lead an organisation at probably, uh, there's never been a more, uh, you know, critical, challenging or exciting time. What does it feel like to lead an organisation through this uh, period of time for the resource recovery sector? Yeah, look, obviously, um, uh, so, so firstly, you know, we've got a great executive team that, that I'm part of and obviously the resource recovery sector is, is, is my sector. Um, uh, but we've also got some amazing leaders around climate change, around community engagement, around behaviour change, change. So it's wonderful to be part of a team um, uh, that's really trying to push this environmental sustainability journey forward in practical, meaningful, on-the-ground type, uh, type partnerships and programs. For me, yeah, look, it's been a really challenging two years. There's no doubt, uh, I think if, if somebody had have told me stepping back into the state government right at the time that we were going to see such a huge structural change in the resource recovery sector, it has been, I think, ultimately challenging for everyone on both sides of the fence. Um, What's been the most challenging for you? What, what have you found most challenging? Yeah, I think personally it's, it's um, you know, you make that point before about this sort of difference between private and public sector. And for me, I think the most difficult but also the, the best opportunity and, and the best value I suppose I've been able to add over the last two years, I think, is to bring some of those industry insights, my great connections across this awesome sector that we have. It's been difficult for me to bring those messages in, I think, and, and try and um, uh, permeate them through what is quite a complex government landscape. But equally, I think it's also been um, where I've added the most value and it's something I'm, I'm proud to have been able to, to bring um, to bring back into SV. And, you know, I'm certainly not an island. I've got a team of 45 fantastic, passionate, driven, knowledgeable individuals. And, and um, I think that's, that's the thing that gets me out of bed every morning. Yeah, like, um, as an observation, one of the things that I think ha has happened really well is there hasn't been any knee-jerk reactions. You guys have obviously had a strategy and you've stuck to it. And I've, I've been lucky enough to sit in some of those workshop groups. And to me, it's like you've had a strategy, you're sticking to it, you're collecting information, and then you're gonna put it all together with what may be the best outcome for the state. 
Yeah, look, I'm, I'm glad it looks like that externally. <laughs> and, and certainly we do. I think what the Victorian government did well, and I know other states and territories did too, is we released a document pretty early on, which was the Recycling Industry Strategic Plan, which, which actually does really set a foundation for the activity that's going on now and the new policy um, that uh, will, will be released in Victoria soon. Um, <clears throat> but, but I think um, even for us, even with a good strategic vision and strategic document, there is no doubt that through particularly the, the, the height of the, the crisis, yeah. which for, for your international um, uh, listeners, Simon, as you know, was essentially the cessation of recycling services for about 30% of the state and a whole heap of recycling going straight to landfill when, when SKM Recycling um, uh, went into administration. So that actually was, even in the face of the strategy, that we had a very, very challenging time. We, we needed to support councils who were trying to do the best for their residents. Um, we needed to give good strategic advice to government on the steps and decisions that it could take. And ultimately, it's a really tricky situation. Essentially, the state government gets um, uh, is right in the firing line. If you're if you're mm. Joe Public, you kind of look to the government and say, "Hey, what's going on here?" But ultimately, we didn't own any of those contracts. We don't own any of the commercial arrangements with SKM, and, and it was a private business making decisions that that suited itself. So, to some extent, it was a challenging thing where we we didn't really have the levers and the powers. Um, yet, we're still really the community was looking to us for action. So. Um, I'm glad externally it's looked like a, a clear sailing, but it's certainly been a, a really um, uh, challenging sort of that, that three months in particular was very challenging for everyone, but really glad we're at the other side of it now. And I think the future for Victorian recycling, whilst still, you know, it's going to be hard yards, yeah. uh, I think it's really looking promising. Yeah. Um, just divulging a bit on sustainability, Victoria, just for our international audience, I, I just want to explain to our audience how diverse your organisation is and, and doing some research for today. Um, I think it was in 2019, SV helped um, households, schools and businesses save something like a million dollars in energy costs. I mean, that's extraordinary. It is. I mean, it's... Um you're, you're absolutely right. It's important to note that obviously uh, resource recovery is part of what we do, but it's not all of what we do. And there's some fantastic programs out there, things like the Resource Smart Schools program that we've been running for many years has had a huge impact on the way schools deal with energy, waste, water, and their sort of environmental sustainability credentials. One of the things I'm really proud about um, that SV's done in the last couple of years is <clears throat> programs that support low-income households around energy use. So we've got two programs, one called Healthy Homes and the other called Latrobe, um, Valley, uh, Latrobe Valley um, uh, Home Upgrades Program. And that's really about this kind of, there's this really crappy inverse relationship between um, how wealthy you are or, or how wealthy you're not and the thermal efficiency of your, of your house. So ultimately, it turns out the people who are the most vulnerable are living in the houses that are least able to adapt to either colder weather or hotter weather. Mm. So we've been able to go into those um, houses and, and fund upgrades, things like insulation, new heating, um, uh, those types of things that will improve thermal comfort for for low-income house owners, um, uh, and it's just had a huge, huge impact. Mm. Some of the feedback's been great. You know, we get stories from people saying, oh, we can have guests over now, we never used to be able to. I can sleep at night without coughing because I'm, you know, in the middle of winter, it's not cold. Um, so those sorts of things are, you know, really what gets us um, excited and, and 
um, uh, those sort of savings and, and energy outcomes and livability outcomes for people is, is great to see. Yeah, improving people's living standards that may not have been able to do it otherwise. Absolutely. Right? And yeah, we work with local governments around things like climate change um, uh, programs and uh, and strategies. We've worked in renewable energy a lot. We've worked in, in the, um, uh, the built environment space, working with volume ho home builders to make sure that new housing stock is really high standard in terms of energy efficiency. So yeah, a range of, a range of great activities. Mm. Matt, just coming back on to um, you personally, um, there's a great article that you wrote um, that most people may have read on, on LinkedIn and, and really the essence of it was saying, look, you know, banning straws is great but it's just simply not enough. And you made reference that, you know, Australia should maybe look more towards what potentially RAP and the UK are doing and take a more um, holistic, mature approach and, and then see where we are in the next 12 to 24 months. And just some of those points were, you know, moving away from the idea that plastic is evil, which I, I totally agree with. Uh, measure, measure, measure. Again, that's something that we talk about a lot when we're training and educating people. Um, linking the packaging sector to the recycling sector, that's a, that's a massive gap obviously everyone's trying to fill at the moment. Taking the whole supply chain approach and then, um, I know we spoke a little bit about this point off camera which was sustainable procurement or procurement yeah. in particular. Matt, like, how close do you think we are? Like, we're 12 months on, are we shifting the needle enough? Like, where do you think, from writing that article to where we are now, what, what's your view? Yeah, look, I think I think we are. Uh, I think we really are getting um, uh, to the point where those sort of interventions are starting to to come through in a in a meaningful way and starting to have an impact. And it's interesting, you know, I post a lot on on LinkedIn like you do. I think it's a good vehicle for engaging with with people in this space. Uh, and I don't think I've ever had an, an article that um, elicited as much debate uh, as that one did. Um, and you know, I think sometimes you've got to throw something a little bit controversial out there to get people. Uh, talking and you know, I think the idea of banning straws or banning anything is it, that has a detrimental impact um, to the environment is actually a good thing. Uh, um, and I think it something like that's great at getting households engaged and people thinking about it. But you're right, the point I was making there is it's it's the tip of a very, very large iceberg. I think what we're starting to see now, not just in Victoria, but across Australia, and it's great to hear Gail um, on your podcast recently, who's really been a champion for, for this um, uh, nationally, uh, is all of those pieces starting to, to move forward. We're seeing better uh, and more investment in infrastructure. Um, we've got the the work that we're doing with, with many companies on market development and product development, which yeah. is so important. We just cannot tell companies or people to recycle if there's no beneficial product or end use that's going to come out of that because then you just end up with stockpiles and a whole stack of other issues. So we're seeing great R&D, great commercialisation investment, things like the, you know, the integrated recycling plastic sleeper that we were talking about before, companies like RPM Pipes and some of the great work they're doing. So that end of the chain is, is starting to come through. And finally, government procurement, again, whilst it's the tip of the iceberg, is, is starting to, to make headway as well. What, what, um, what do you think could speed that part up, Matt? Because like, I get this asked a lot from all yeah. people out on the street. Oh, look, it's all about risk, isn't it, if we're being honest here. Um, the, the primary vehicle for, for government procurement at the moment that people are looking to, understandably, is infrastructure, so roads and rail. Mm. So in Victoria and other states, it's big spend, a lot of material use, and the opportunity for recycled content is huge. And I think if you look at it through 
two lenses, you see just how difficult that transition can be. So one of the things that, that Victoria is leading Australia and, and probably the world in is recycling uh, glass, so low value glass, not the glass that you can recycle back into new bottles, but glass finds back into, into um, recycled glass sand and using that as a virgin sand replacement in our, in our road construction. Mm. Now companies like Alex Fraser in the last three years have dramatically increased their supply of that. And that's because um, the procurement levers have been there government suppliers, government contractors have asked specifically to buy that product and as a result Alex Fraser has been able to ramp up demand and are doing huge tonnes of that mm. material which is great. But it's taken 10 years to get there and people don't realise we've been working with those guys for over a decade to make sure the specifications are there, the standards are there, the product testing has been done, that everybody in the supply chain is really comfortable on how it looks and how it performs and how it acts. What we're, in terms of how we accelerate sort of the other things, things like plastic sleepers is a really good example, is it's, it's we've got to get that sort of level of, of um, strong evidence, strong support within government, within purchases, um, so that they feel very comfortable that the products uh, are going to perform, they've got the quality right, they've got the quantity right, they can order them and get them the same way they'd get a, a virgin alternative. Um, and that's where the sort of the risk aversion can sometimes come in. And ultimately we end up in a, in a state of chicken and egg. And, and I see that every day. I see recycling companies that say, you know what, I will invest. I want to ramp up production of this, mm. but I just need a buy order. If someone wants to order 60,000 of these widgets, yep. we know they perform well. We know that you know there's a standard there. If someone orders 60,000, I'll invest $5 million to get my production up. But without that, it's all risk for me. Mm. And equally on the other side, you've got someone on the government procurement side of things that says, well, I don't want to order 60,000 until I know you can supply 60,000. Yeah, and right. at the moment, I know your factory can't do that. So it's kind of like this weird Mexican standoff. And I, and I think in terms of accelerating things, it's both sides of that. Government certainly needs to take more of a risk and support companies and saying, you know what, we are going to help you along this journey. We are going to put orders in in advance, we are going to support you in your infrastructure investment and equally then I think the industry coming in behind that to, to follow through. So I think once we start getting that, that sort of the risk sharing a little bit fairer, mm. um, then I think we'll see the acceleration come. And what, what do you think, Matt, the plastic industry in particular uh, or plastic manufacturers could do to communicate that message with either the government or even with other organisations about their products? Yeah, look, I think um, uh, one of the things we uh, we learnt pretty quickly on this journey is that government procurers, um, uh, they don't always have access to, to all of the information that mm. they might need to be making uh, decisions. It's something really we're really uh, cognisant of. And you've got some businesses in our great sector that, that fly under the radar. They do really good work, but they don't necessarily bang the drum. And if you're if you're a you know small to medium sized recycler and you're coming up against a huge construction company that's using virgin concrete or something, they've got a marketing department. You know mm. everybody knows them. They're out and about. So visibility, I think, is is really important. Um, one of the things we've committed to doing at Sustainability Victoria is receipt is is releasing uh, a recycled products directory um, mm. that will basically be used by government procurers, so they can actually see what products are out there, how they perform, how much they cost, what specifications they meet, um, and that will hopefully elevate some of those, um, uh, you know, 
businesses that fly under the radar. And equally, I think, you know, everyone in this space should be doing work to tell the good stories. Um, you and I are in the same, um, uh, in the same uh, view of this, is that the, as soon as there's negative stories, everybody wants to jump on them, particularly mainstream media. But there's so many great stories out there about business that are, businesses that have you know, ridden through the last sort of 24 months of, of heartache and are out there doing great things. And I think it's up to me and you and everybody else to be telling those stories and proliferating that information. So um, I think anyone out there that's got a, a social media footprint or any sort of media footprint, find the good stories in this sector and, and just get them out there. Yeah, I think the, um, the industry directory is an interesting one. And I, I don't know if they're doing it in other countries, but... I would encourage any other country to be putting these same kind of documents together if we're really going to encourage people to buy it, it's promoting what's available and all the rest of it. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think well, um, what's important to us, I mean, we are, we're sustainability people, yeah. We're, we're, I know a lot about the resource recovery sector, but I've never built a road or I've never built a rail line before. I'm not, a, I'm not an engineer. So it's really important for us when we're doing things like the directory to make sure that the, those cross-government links are being made and we try and work really closely with Department of Transport and uh, Jobs Precincts and Innovation and those sorts of parts of government. Um, because, you know, if you're a government procurer, you've already got information that you go and source every day. So instead of trying to do something that sort of sits separately to that, how can we link in to make sure that that information we've got is getting into those same channels so that they can access it um, uh, more easily and make nimble decisions like we know they like to. Yeah. And Matt, just like some context around, you guys have funded a, a fair few projects. Um, are there some of them that we can discuss? Are there, are there, is there an overview you can give to everyone about what are the projects potentially on the go now and yeah. what are the ones that have been interesting? Yeah, I mean, they're all interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, and I mean that genuinely, they are. I think if you're um, in this sector, it doesn't matter whether it's somebody just upgrading a shredder or someone putting a whole a whole new bit of kit in, It's um, they're all great projects. I mean, we've got about 170 uh, infrastructure projects on the go at the moment. Uh, we've done a lot in the e-waste space in the last few years to support the government, excuse me, in rolling out a compliant network of e-waste collection points. I, I suppose our main infrastructure funding has been through the Resource Recovery Infrastructure Fund, which is about $25 million that we've leveraged into about $110 million of private sector investment. So that sort of widened the pool considerably. And there's about 50 or 60 projects there, some of which are, are, are at completion and others that are still in development. I think we, we spoke about a few earlier. The Advanced Circular Polymers plastic facility out in Somerton is a, is a really fantastic facility. Um, uh, we've struggled with that ability domestically to take mixed plastic out of a MRF, separate it into its component parts and then palletise it or, or hot wash flake it into a product that's then marketable. And, and I think in terms of, of where we can add the most value with our infrastructure funding, it really is in that in that sort of sweet spot. We want a recycling industry that can plug directly into the manufacturing industry. Yep. That is so important. If you're a manufacturer, recycling isn't your business, making widgets is. Yeah. And if you can't get that feedstock in a condition that suits what you need and the quality you need it at the quantity you need it, then it's impossible for us to knock on your door and say you should be buying recycled. So that gap there, making sure the recycling industry can plug straight into manufacturing, um, is where we really try and target as much of our investment as we can and, and advanced circular polymers is a good example. There, I think 
Um, some really critical new infrastructure, the, the repurpose it facility out in Epping, it's a great site out there, huge footprint, great buffers. Um, and again, taking sort of mixed CND waste or, or um, uh, demolition waste from some of the large urban development that's going on in the north and northwest of our state, um, separating that out into, into really high quality um, commodities and flipping that straight back into um, infrastructure projects is, is a great example. Um, and where, like, where, what are some of the applications? Um, so obviously going into roads, going into yep, so, concrete. Yeah, so they, they, that facility essentially sorts out to multiple grades of aggregates and then also all the fines go back into a, so, a topsoil mix that they can um, uh, apply straight back out into the same developments that essentially they're, they're um, preparing for, um, for housing. So it's a good sort of closed loop system. Um, I've been really impressed with the, the, the bingo facility out in West Melbourne, um, which we didn't fund, but we've got a good relationship with bingo and have been working with them on a number of projects. Um, again, I love that sort of closed loop um, scenario where you know, you've got a thousand tonne of material coming in a day at the front end, um, great high quality sorting infrastructure and really clean graded product coming out the back that essentially those same B-doubles can pick straight up and um, flip around the backside and go straight back out um, and onto site. So that's important because as you know, margins live with logistics. So yep. if, you, if you're if you on a you know, high volume project, you can send uh, material in one way and pull product out the other in the same transaction. Um, that's a win-win for everybody. So yeah, been really impressed with what Bingo have been doing. So yeah, that's a couple of examples off the top of my head. And is there, um where, where are you seeing some of the investment inquiry coming from for the, for the future, do you think, Matt? And what I mean by that is, um, is, our, is our infrastructure starting to line up with these gaps that we know that exist? Yeah, look, it's getting there. There is still a critical gap in the fibre market um, here in Victoria and I think across Australia and globally. Um, the introduction, obviously, the waste, again, for your, for your international um, followers, Simon, the, the Australian government and all of the states and territories have essentially agreed to ban the export of, of waste commodities or unprocessed waste commodities from, um, uh, from Australia, including mixed low-grade paper. Um, what that means is essentially, you know, we need a domestic um, uh, industry that can cope with all of that volume and, and quite simply we don't have that at the moment. Um, uh, so I think that's where the next tranche of investment needs to happen. Um, what, do, what do you think on the, the banning of the waste export? Um, like obviously that needs to happen at some point to stimulate yep. locally. Um, my, like my view has been we're not ready for it just yet. We probably need to just regulate what is being sent. Yeah. Look, I, I need to be somewhat careful given yeah. my, my minister has signed up to those uh, those bans. But, but look, I think... Um, uh, Essentially, we need a, an industry that is competitive, that can provide, that can that can generate value-added products and sell those into a market. And if that means we need to change the structure of our sector to say, you know what, you used to be able to export pretty much anything. We want to tighten that and say, you need to be proving to us that you're creating a a product, a viable, marketable mm. product that meets some sort of specification, yep. and then you can compete on the open market. So I'm actually okay with that. 
Yep. I think we do need to be careful that we're not cutting off our nose to spite our face. And in a very, very globally competitive marketplace, we want to make sure that the infrastructure investment is there and that in fact we have the capability to in fact do that value adding before those bands come in. So I think the timelines are very ambitious and certainly I know that um, uh, a lot of our investment in the next sort of 12 to 24 months will be very much targeted at trying to make the Victorian industry ready to adapt to those um, to those bands. Yeah, and Matt, you know, like the 2025 packaging targets that are being set. Um, again, another question about infrastructure, but um, some of those targets, I know some brands are already there. They're at 30% or whatever they've committed to. But like, do you think that those targets are achievable given where we sit with the amount of infrastructure we've got right now? I do, and I think the, tar- the, the packaging targets actually, um, if you look at where they sit as part of the National Waste Policy Action Plan, which has a host of targets of which packaging targets um, are just a part of it, uh, I actually think they sit uh, quite complementary to the broader sort of resource recovery targets. And the reason I say that is because traditionally, like many other jurisdictions, we've had targets that have pretty much just been a resource recovery rate. Yeah, we want to target 70% or 75% resource recovery, or we want to target 50% municipal resource recovery. Um, what we haven't necessarily done is close that out with um, targets that are that are at the at the, the, the you know, supply end of that to say, well, you know what, it's great to have a target that's resource recovery um, focused, but unless we've got a, a market pull, a demand for that recycle it, then it, you know, it's going to be hard to meet that. So I think the fact that the targets go a little bit further and say, well, it's not just about resource recovery, it's about, it's about using that content back into new packaging, um, uh, I actually think it's a really good thing. Whether or not we're quite ready to get there, um, obviously time will tell. I think they're ambitious, the, the timelines mm. are ambitious, but again, I think a bit of ambition in this sector is, is fantastic and it's great to see the federal government um, uh, finally putting money where its mouth is and, yep. and um, the, the federal government has largely been completely silent on the waste and resource recovery sector for the better part of 10 years. Um, uh, so it's great to see $100 million being put into the CEFC recycling fund and, and also a $20 million commitment around product stewardship, which is obviously directly linked um, to packaging. Uh, and what I also think the pack- packaging targets do is they open the supply chain up a bit more. Absolutely. If you've got a target that's just resource recovery based, and we've seen it before, you know, the construction and demolition sector can play such a significant volume, you know, role in that because it's so um, heavily weight focused that it doesn't necessarily lead to those kind of value, you know, higher value outcomes for, for some of our commodities like plastics. So I think, you know, the targets around buying recycled and using recycled content mean that we have an opportunity to invest in domestic capacity to take clean washed PET, clean washed HDPE, those high value $500 a tonne plus commodities, mm. um, and instead of ship them offshore, turn them back into to, to packaging right here and use that as part of the FMCG market as a direct input. So I kind of think, you know, that that higher value, those higher value commodities, if we can be doing genuine recycling, so product to product recycling yep. rather than downcycling, um, uh, that's just a great opportunity for new jobs, new skills, new technology, new investment, uh, and that's ultimately what, you know, what we need to see for a, a functioning, sustainable um, yep. domestic recycling market. You know, so that, that approach really should be anywhere in the world 
um, are we seeing enough collaboration between, say, brands in the FMCG sector, recycling, waste? You know, do you think everyone talks enough together? Are we joined enough? Like sometimes I feel we have lots of industry groups, and sometimes they're all aligned, but there are times where they're not aligned. Yeah. Like, how do you see that, Matt? That is a, such a, a good question, and I think. Traditionally, the answer would be no. We actually haven't seen that degree of interconnectivity um, uh, as much as we would like to. And that's always a challenge for a, com company, a country like Australia where we do import so much of our, uh, of our goods and, and products. Uh, but I think the packaging targets have absolutely reset that conversation. Mm. So um, uh, traditionally, my engagement with the industry has largely been recyclers. Um, in the last sort of 12 to 18 months, that engagement has really amped up from a brand owner point of view. Uh, and I always look at the UK. If you look at how the UK market, um, and you know it probably better than I do, but if you look at how the UK market evolved, it was actually when the brand owners came in, particularly the supermarket chains, and said, you know what, this is, it's not, we, we can't outsource this to a recycling uh, company. It's our role, our responsibility to make sure that we're playing that sort of socially responsible role as part of the supply chain. And when Tesco's and Sainsbury's and Waitrose started throwing their weight around, it completely recalibrated the industry. I think, you know, we've seen companies like Coca-Cola, Amatil publicly yep. talk about their JV with um, Veolia uh, and what the opportunity there is for, for domestic recycling of PET. Um, that is only a positive. And if we get more of those large brand owners taking responsibility for the role they play in the supply chain and their packaging chain, um, that can only benefit um, uh, the recycling sector because um, uh, some of the failings we've seen in the past have been... Uh, opportunistic uh, people in the recycling sector seeing the opportunity to make a buck from taking something but not necessarily having an outlet for, for mm. it to go. Um, these guys think about it the other way. They want the product to, to service their packaging supply chain, yep. which means they've got a vested interest in the, in the upstream recycling process. And, uh, and that's great. And we've seen sort of the role of container deposit schemes in other states and territories really foster that investment. Yep. Uh, and yeah, very keen to see similar investment in Victoria. Yeah, I mean, just for the wider audience, I mean, uh, not every country has a container deposit scheme and one of the things I'm proud about in Australia is that we do have them and everyone's got their view on them but like to me clearly what what happens is it does get people involved in the conversation yeah it does um, bring communities together you know it, it does make people aware of what recycling is and and how how to how single source recycling um, collected um, at source is the way to do it yeah um, and so obviously we're not far away maybe from that announcement here in Victoria to bring Victoria in line with the other states, which is a massive tick, I think. Um, in relation to that, Matt, I mean, where do you see education fits in all this? Um, everyone always says to us, hey, guys, we need more education, we need more education, and um, there's loads of people doing it. I is there a bigger gap on education as people think? There is, uh, and it's it's something that um, that we're really cognizant of, and have been fortunate enough to get um, some funding to do a little bit more education under the Recycling Industry Strategic Plan, and it's certainly something that will be a key focus of the uh, Victorian's new waste policy uh, when it's released um, over the coming weeks and and months. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, essentially the the this idea that the recycling industry, that we set up a recycling industry that revolves around a mixed 
yellow lead bin that's kind of a choose your own adventure um, that's set up separately across 79 different councils with mm. different things they accept and different lids. The idea that that's not going to confuse the community and cause it angst and ultimately lead to this sort of mixed stream of products that a MRF somehow needs to magically disaggregate. Uh, it's not the ideal way to develop a recycling sector. And I think if we if we had our time again, we'd probably think twice about going so far down the commingled recycling uh, route. So I think all of those things you've been talking about in terms of container deposit schemes and, and the role it they play in, in getting better separated commodities. And equally, the role of engaging with our households on a deep, regular and simple way so that if you are a householder in Nilambic or a householder in Yarra Ranges or a householder in Port Phillip or wherever you are, um, you're really clear on what the expectation is of you, what goes in what bin, how that needs to be presented at the curbside um, and that ultimately will lead to um, MRFs that are more able to, to cope with those streams and higher commodity prices and higher opportunity for, for that at the, at the end of the line. So um, we completely believe that um, behaviour change and education is um, one of the key pillars of, of making a strong, sustainable uh, recycling sector in Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. And just one, one final one, Matt, and just digging back to your journey on this. Um, when everything has seemed so urgent and there's been, like, everything's been high urgency, and I know what it's like in my life when everything's high importance, everything's urgent. Have you guys gone about you know, working out what what is urgent, and then what projects should we fund first? Like, how do you, how do you prioritise that when everything seems high urgency? Yeah, look, it's a really good question. I think um, in in government, that is that is the one of the key things. Um, urgency is um, urgency in a in a business is obviously um, really driven by what your customers need and where profits going or where profits not going. Um, we've kind of got this mixed um, uh, urgency that comes from not only what the sector is telling us, but the pressure that our politicians are getting. And as soon as the Premier or somebody else starts getting pressure, that pressure gets pushed into the public service um, pretty quickly. I cannot underestimate the value of good market intelligence. And it is something that SV is, is um, kind of very, got a very good reputation for both in Victoria and, and across Australia. We publish every month a recovered resources market bulletin, I think it's called, uh, which is really about getting good aggregated information about the shape and structure and condition of recycling markets. What are the commodities that are functioning well? What are the commodities that aren't functioning well? Why, why is that happening? So for me in terms of prioritisation, it's got to come down to good market intelligence. We get that both from a formal data provision um, point of view and also just good engagement with the industry, mm. going out there, meeting people, talking to people, hearing what's happening on the ground and then feeding that intel back into, into government. So um, uh, that helps us prioritise and equally, and perhaps more importantly, it helps us give government, senior level government um, bureaucrats and politicians, the information they need to help them prioritise. 
And I think if there's one message to, to anybody out there, either in Victoria or, or Australia or internationally, when government comes to you and it needs information, um, do your best to provide it. And I know that can be challenging sometimes because it's commercially sensitive and it's important for, for you guys in, in running your businesses. Um, but it's very difficult for, for industry to turn around and say, government, you know, you guys stuffed this up. You didn't, you didn't make the right investment. And we're sitting around going, well, we made the investments based or the decisions based on the, the information that we could get from the market. So it's kind of um, the same way you say, you know, crap in and crap out from a recycling point of view, it's the same for, um, for that market intelligence. Give government good information, give government good data, tell us what's going on, and hopefully that'll help um, uh, decision makers to target the right interventions. Yeah, I think that's a great point to finish on today. I know we can go on for hours, so guys, Really, you know, we've, we've all got the ability to make a change and we've all got the ability to participate. And it's important that we all do participate across every level of this, whether it's private industry, the government. Um, we've all got knowledge we need to share. And it's something that we've been really big on is trying to share as much knowledge as we can to supercharge these conversations along. So, Matt, really appreciate you coming on, mate, um, and sharing your industry expertise, your personal expertise and what Sustainability Victoria is doing here in Australia. And for anyone internationally, if you're in the UK, Europe, uh, America, wherever you are, go and check out their website. And I really mean this, go and have a look at what they're doing. They cover so many different areas, whether it's resource recovery, which is Matt's area, um, uh, whether it's um, uh, uh, targeting um, energy consumption, whether it's uh, food waste hate, I think it is, yeah? Yep, love food hate waste, love, love that's food right. Waste. Uh, Hate waste. Hate waste. <laughs> um, so, guys, go and check it out. But thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Think Beginning, Not End. Please remember to subscribe and turn notifications on, and we'll see you next time. Really appreciate Matt coming on today, especially when we know how busy he's been with the launch of the new circular economy policy that's happened here in Victoria, Australia. And for you guys, I'd highly recommend you go and find some of those articles and have a read of it. It means we are going to get a few more bins on the curbside. It also means we're finally going to have a container deposit scheme here in the state of Victoria, which is all in the aid of a better recycling system so we don't end up in a crisis again. Anyway, guys, if you like our podcast, I'd love you to subscribe, turn notifications on, share it with family and friends, and please always feel free to leave a comment or ask me a question and I'll get back to you guys straight away. In the meantime, thanks for tuning in to Think Beginning Not Empowered by Vannon, and we'll see you next time.